Hello, and thank you for joining us today on Workforce Institute Radio. I'm Joyce Maroney, Executive Director of the Workforce Institute at Kronos. Today, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity in the public sector, and specifically at the level of local governments. My guest is Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, or PTI, now part of CompTIA. PTI was created to identify research opportunities, provide thought leadership and professional development opportunities, share solutions, provide technology support services, recognize member achievements, and address the many technology issues that impact local government. Needless to say, data privacy and security are huge issues for government organizations. Today, Alan will share with us the types of challenges that confront local government leaders when it comes to cybersecurity, as well as sharing solutions that can mitigate those risks. So, Alan, thanks so much for joining me today. Joyce, it's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, let's move on to our first question, which is, let's uh, get to know you a little better. Can you talk about PTI and uh, a little bit about your role there? Great. Well, PTI, Public Technology Institute, now part of CompTIA, has been around since, I guess, the 70s when technology was much more a mystery, although I would say it's getting back to being a mystery again. But when um, all the public interest groups like the National League of Cities, the uh, National Association of Counties and uh, the International City County Managers Association all got together and formed PTI to kind of pull together to understand technology, and hence PTI was born. I have been with PTI, uh, I'm in my 16th year as the CEO, and our mission hasn't changed that much. The issues have, but the mission hasn't, and that is to help local governments navigate the technology choices and providing thought leadership and professional development through certification programs that we offer, um, and a number of other programs, including research into the various technologies and trends facing today's technology executive. Excellent. Well, thank you for that explanation. And let's jump right into today's topic. Uh, I'm sure that most of our listeners are already concerned about the risks of cybersecurity failures or attacks in their own environment. Can you share a few real world examples of these types of attacks and the damage they can cause, that they have caused? Sure. I mean, you talk about everybody being concerned. I think the people most concerned are those responsible for the technology enterprise in local government. They don't sleep well at night worrying about all the things and all the threats that are out there. But a few examples that have occurred, and many may have read about this, 2019 was the year of ransomware. I would say four years ago, we really barely even knew what that meant. We worried about hacking. We worried about defacement of some of our websites. We worried about what would seem to be trivial things. But if someone is hacked as of ransomware, essentially you wake up one morning, go to work, and find that all the business processes of government have been shut down. All the records are basically encrypted, and the only way you can unencrypt them is to pay the perpetrator perpetrators a, uh, a fee, uh, usually through um, Bitcoin, which is almost impossible to trace. Last year, we had epidemic proportions of this all over the country, big, small, medium-sized localities. The most noted might be city of Atlanta or city of Baltimore. But even before those big cities, there were many of many counties and smaller organizations that uh, were um, were, were hacked. The problem is that when these 
bad guys were starting this, um, they usually ask for a very small amount of money as quote unquote ransom. So they might ask for $500 and people could do the math and realize that it would be cheaper paying it off than it would be to reconstruct all the systems from scratch. Now they've been emboldened. One of the big fears that everyone had is the more we pay, the more we'll pay. And so the uh, the folks who have perpetuated all this are now asking for much greater sums, putting tremendous pressure on our local governments to respond. The backdrop is the federal uh, government, including the uh, which would include the FBI and Homeland Security, has basically said don't pay for three basic reasons. One, it emboldens the bad actors to do more, which has happened. Number two, there's no guarantee that uh, they will uh, restore systems, even if you pay. And number three, um, there's the potential that once they're in your system, they may never be fully out and could actually reinfect the system. We now know an awful lot, but I'll let you ask the next question. So that has been the biggest issue, I think, this past year because it is the, the most daunting um, and it has affected so many uh, public institutions, including schools and including uh, even uh, some healthcare providers. Yeah, thank you. I, I think there's very few of us who haven't uh, experienced some kind of phishing email or, you know, received, uh, you know, messages that seem very official and that, you know, tell us we immediately owe taxes or some kind of, you know, fee that we weren't aware of. Um, but um, even given that a lot of people have had these experiences, when your organization conducted research in 2019 to assess cybersecurity preparedness among U.S. cities and counties, uh, I think you did find that not all organizations were equally prepared. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about what you found in that research? Yeah, I, I would say, Joyce, this is good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is that there's been a upward trend where more people are understanding the risks and are able to get the resources to better defend against them. But as we stand today, our latest research, our 2020 research report shows that approximately 70% while doing a fairly decent job, there's almost a third that haven't and admit that. So it's not like somebody has you know, done one of these I got you's. This is local governments responding to surveys saying we recognize that we don't have the wherewithal to adequately protect our enterprise. You take 30% across the United States, that exposes an awful lot of local governments. Mostly those in that category are of the smaller, smaller government, maybe the medium size, I would say medium to small um, that have, that are struggling today. The second question that we asked, yeah, is that, uh, you know, the question is, to what extent are they getting support, you know, from elected leaders? And again, this was fairly similar. About 65, 70% said they felt that they were getting good support. But again, this 30% said they were not getting adequate support. So there seems to be a gap here in either understanding or the ability Let's be fair, some local governments are struggling uh, to come up with the necessary funds just to keep the basic operations going uh, to add more to that, and uh, which is required when it comes to cybersecurity. Not everyone is able to step up. So the trend is both encouraging and, and discouraging for those who still are unable uh, to keep up when they know they need to. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a, a good uh, issue, which is that, you know, certain kinds of expenses like keeping the schools open are very, you know, they're very apparent to people and people have a very personal connection to that. But when you're talking about uh, what's going on with the systems behind the walls, it's a little bit more difficult for people to kind of grasp, you know, what is a level of exposure or, you know, what is my personal um, harm that that I might experience if there isn't an adequate investment in this part of the the government operation. So t to that end, what kinds of things are government employees doing that are are making their organizations more vulnerable, or 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 perhaps flipping that around? What are things they they know they need to be doing that they are strained to come up with the resources to do? Well, let me try and do a little bit of both of those questions. I, I think what we're seeing is that, first of all, I should say that not everything comes with a price tag. You mentioned earlier in this conversation about great growing awareness of fishing kinds of expeditions where we get these very realistic looking emails and we open them, we click on something and all of a sudden something bad happens or something bad happens and we're not even aware of it. So the number one thing that we're seeing, including in our research, is that uh, local governments are spending more effort on training uh, their, their employees because in the old days, which was like five or six years ago, one who might be a CIO or equivalent responsibility uh, would be able to control most of the enterprise. More recently, as our workforce has become more, more mobile, and it's not uncommon for a local government to perhaps have, say, 50, 60 percent, including public safety in a mobile environment, it's really hard to control all what we call endpoints whether it be a mobile device, whether it be a thumb drive, but all these these vulnerabilities or these areas are ripe for exploitation. So it begins with training people, making people aware, and we're we're talking about something not once a year ongoing, reminding people of the latest ploys, what's being tried to kind of get somebody to, to loosen their guard and possibly click on something, whether it be a picture or a, a device that they found on the street or in an office, and then they plug it in and all of a sudden the entire enterprise is infected. So it really begins with cyber hygiene of the individual. Um, and then the other areas are, we, you know, in the old days you used to be able to read logs. I don't know how people kept awake, but you'd look for <laughs> logs, <laughs> reading the anomalies that may have come out the night or through the day. Now we have software programs that do that and they kind of border on artificial intelligence. Unfortunately, not everybody could can, uh, can afford that. The other thing that uh, people struggle to do is to have adequate firewalls, but two-way firewalls, firewalls that basically protect what's going in, but also to watch what's going out. Um, and also uh, cyber intrusion software that looks for these kind of anomalies and actively um, moves them aside, quarantines them so they can be looked upon for further action. So today's technology manager has many tools available to them they didn't have before, but some things do have a price tag. Many people either are not aware of these things or some of these products may not scale to these smaller enterprises and, though, and then people are really at a great disadvantage. This is a case where people might want to consider um, pushing more of their infrastructure into the cloud where a cloud provider um, most likely can provide a better, more secure cyber environment because they can invest in things that a small government can't. They can amortize the costs over multiple accounts 
and that takes some of the pressure off of the local government and makes for a safer environment uh, for uh, all parties. Yeah, I think um, so. I think you're you're also making the point that you know a way that the stakeholders, the citizens who are supported by these governments, can can help um, is is to see the need and be willing to invest accordingly in that aspect of their local infrastructure. And and um, you know, you know, I've chatted about this before, but when you're putting technology up into the cloud, you know, you're not building that space age looking data center um, that, you know, people can point at that and say, oh, okay, I get it. That's where my tax dollars are, are going. So how do, you, how do you think lawmakers can help make that connection for people? Because to some extent you're asking them to take a leap of faith and uh, invest in something that, is invisible to them. Well, I, you know, I would argue that it's probably invisible to them now. I think it's all about performance um, and guarantees. I think if somebody did a risk assessment, and incidentally, PTI does that, we go and we would go to a local government, we look at their policies and procedures and staff capabilities, and we make recommendations. Um, so we have a number of services that look at that, whether it be somebody, I think everyone, every government, almost of every size, should have an external audit on a periodic basis. These audits will pinpoint where the vulnerabilities are. I think city managers, county managers, and elected leaders are pretty savvy when it comes to the word risk. You know, if you just talk about dangers, it kind of, that's one thing. But if you talk about risk, that means lawsuits, that means uh, public discontent. It means a lot of things. So that's a magic word. When you assess risk, then suddenly you start looking at the options. And if all folks are honest, and I think most people are, and there's an honest discussion, they'll that for some of the smallest of jurisdictions, they may be much better off in the cloud. Today, you know, that little computer system may not be right next to somebody as it used to be. There may not be even a data center. Uh, it could be dispersed over many different buildings within a given geographic area. Uh, so the idea that something has to be close by, I don't think that's any longer a valid expectation. It used to be. I would say 10 years ago, our CIOs that are primarily members of PTI said there's no way we'd ever go in the cloud because we have a we, we have to protect our sacred data. We have a mandate to do so, and we cannot uh, turn over that responsibility to anybody else. Today, those same CIOs would say 90% of them want to move into the cloud because they think that that might offer them a more secure environment. I think it's just a matter of education, educating people. It is certainly a, a sound way to go. It's a great way to protect against uh, un, uh, unplanned emergencies because there's usually a way to access data where it is somewhere else, uh, where there are other security protocols uh, that may not exist. If you had a mainframe and there was a fire or you had a, a mainframe failure, what if you didn't have the correct backups? What if you didn't have uh, a good DR plan? At least if you asked the right questions and expected the right answers from a cloud provider of any service, um, you have the right to assume that uh, you might be in better shape than if you were to try and do everything yourself. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I have been um, working for cloud solution providers for over 20 years at this point. And um, I think it you're probably right that maybe around 10 years ago, people started to get a lot more comfortable as they saw more solutions in their own lives shifting to the cloud. So 20 years ago, cloud was a pretty tough sell because people saw it as an inherently more risky option. Whereas now I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody in charge of IT in a, no matter how small a, a town or city government who isn't doing their banking or tracking their investments or doing their shopping online, all of which were solutions that were born to only be delivered in the cloud. So I think people's personal comfort with secure data in a cloud has made huge progress, especially in the last decade, which then colors their willingness to invest in cloud solutions on the business side of their house. Absolutely. And look at access. I mean, you're absolutely right. The consumer model really does have an impact on the government model in terms of where we store our photos, um, how we access our email, and how we access our entertainment for almost any device. Um, that is made possible only through a cloud type uh, scheme. So yeah, I think people are getting much more used to it and there are many benefits. It may not necessarily save money, but it certainly um, is going to provide a more secure environment. Yeah, I agree. So my last question, Alan, is for those who are listening, kind of wherever they are in their becoming more cyber secure journey, um, what, are, what are the steps that they should be taking and should continue to take um, in order to make sure that they have an adequate cybersecurity strategy in place? Well, you know, many people think they have a good strategy until they find out they don't. <laughs> so uh, my advice has been to make sure that you have a neutral party external type organization whether it be PTI or there's many local uh, groups too, that come in and actually do an assessment. You need to have objective eyes. There's always a point of weakness somewhere. Um, and it may change from one year to another. It may change based on personnel and new equipment. Um, sometimes we're too close to things when we're in government and we find with our members that it, it never hurts to have somebody look at the governance plans, look at cyber insurance if they have it, what are the pros and cons, what they should be looking at, how do their governance plans look, you know, work, uh, what kind of security uh, plans do they have, how good is their training, uh, are their staff up to date. I'm amazed how many people are not uh, certified in their various fields when it comes to cyber or CIO management or leadership. So there's a lot of things one can do um, and just doing the best you can is no longer adequate. For years that got you know, people through. It's like to their city manager, I, you know, I know we don't have the budget, but I'm doing the best job I can. And that used to be enough for the uh, senior managers, senior public manager. Today, um, one is not doing anyone a favor by just saying I'm doing the best I can. It's not working 18 hours a day. It's not working seven days a week. It's working smart. It's not the hours you put in. It's the equipment that you deploy, the systems that you use, and the plans that you exercise and test for. Just like the fire department, they are constantly training. They have their own certifications. Local government needs to practice, practice, and assess, and then practice. So that's my advice. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and to share your expertise with our listeners. 
And for you listeners, thanks for joining us. Please continue to join our conversation at workforceinstitute.org. And until next time, thanks for listening.